chapter three, Luke chapter three. And if you're able, will you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? Looking at a couple verses uh, this morning, starting in verse 21 and reading down to verse 22. So hear the word of the Lord. So when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness through our song this morning. May we just settle again to hear from your word, to be reminded of what you have said to us that is true. And Father, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you say something this morning for the fame and glory of your son, Jesus? Praise in Christ's name, amen. You guys can be seated. If we haven't met, my name's Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Happy New Year as we round into our new year to do all our commitments. All of you probably have all these goals you're committed to or all the guilt from not committing to the goals that you had last year. And this new year brings all types of emotions, right? You're reminded of all the things you didn't do and all the things you want to do. But you're also managing this um, mental gymnastics of all all the things you think you're going to do and how disciplined you're going to be starting tomorrow, right? We're going to be so disciplined. And there's just expectations as you roll into church that the pastor this Sunday is going to inspire you to do all those things, right? As you were like first Sunday of the year is always, uh, uh, you're going to read your Bible this year. You're going to pray more this year. You're going to be more godly this year. And all the things are good. Like we want you to be more godly. We want to be more godly this time next year than we are right now. We want to read the Bible more. We want to pray more. Um, but what I want to do this morning is something a little different than um, be your better self tomorrow type sermon. I want to start off the new year by starting off in the ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 3, we're, we're set up with this, this baptism of Jesus. And what's happening, what Luke is telling us a story, he's trying to give us a painting of what Jesus is like. And he's showed his birth and he showed his relationship with John the Baptist. And he showed, it's the only gospel writer that showed how Mary and Joseph lost Jesus at one time. And then it jumps to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is this guy leading the way for Jesus. And he's leading the way and he's telling people a Messiah's coming, a Messiah's coming, a Messiah's coming. And he's baptizing people left and right. And then Jesus steps on the scene. And in Luke chapter three is the first time we see Jesus in his adult form. He hasn't done anything miraculous yet. He hasn't done something amazing these people don't know much about Jesus. They've heard probably rumors of this son of God that's, that's on the scene, but he hasn't done anything amazing yet. So he comes to the waters and his cousin John is baptizing people. And he goes to John and says, hey, I want you to baptize me. It's amazing. And as we start off this new year, as we start off this new 
um, commitments to our lives, all these things we want to do in this next year, I just want to remind you, as we're reminded in this text today, of the singular truth, that the Christian life is the pursuit to live out something that is already true. I am deeply loved by God. The Christian life, all these things you want to do, is the pursuit of living out something that's already true. I'm deeply loved by God. And so Jesus goes to these waters and John the Baptist is baptizing him. And upon his baptism, he's risen out of the waters. The sky opens up and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him. And God the Father audibly speaks One of the only times the Father speaks in the whole New Testament, and he speaks and he says these words, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This amazing moment, probably one of the most amazing moments in the history of humanity. You have this intimate relationship on the scene, shown on display to these two, these two beings that have existed from eternity's past. They've always existed. They've always been in a relationship. They're talking to one another. God the Father speaks and says, this is my son. With you, I'm well pleased. Could you imagine being one of the other Israelites on this Seen. They've been watching baptisms left and right. They've been, been being baptized themselves. They've been t- coming to the water. They've been uh, watching all the baptisms. John's arms are probably sore from dunking and bringing them up and dunking and bringing them up. And every scene is you walk in the water, you're dunked, and you bring out and you walk out. And you, somebody probably has something that's like a towel, probably not, but some way to dry off in that time. And every time they walk in, get dunked, Walk out, walk in, get dunked, walk out. But this time it's different. This time, Jesus walks in the water. He goes down. He's risen up. And the sky opens. You can imagine most of the Israelites are like, that didn't happen with me. What's, this is different. This is unique. This is something It's not like the others. And in this relationship, God shows his affections and his love for his son. He shows on full display that his love and affection is for this divine son that he has. And he wants the world to know before Jesus ever does anything, or Jesus ever heals anybody, feeds anybody, Raises anybody from the dead. He's shown to be loved by his father. And this is a beautiful scene, guys. We should should really be emotionally drawn to this. Sometimes, I don't know what picture you have of the father. We think of him as this cruel person, this cold person, this mean person. He wants to judge and make commandments, but... In the first moment with his son, the first time we see God the Father in the New Testament, his posture is tenderness. 
he's looking at his, his son. Like he's looking at his son in his eyes after his baptism and says, You, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am proud. He identifies him of who he is, but he also tells him how proud he is of him. There's a parenting sermon in there somewhere, but that's not for today. He shows this affection for his child. It's something, there's something to say about the first time we see Jesus do anything, the Holy Trinity. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the first thing they want us to know is how much in love they are with each other. The first thing they want us to know is how in love they are with one another. They're divinely, cosmically united in love. It's like, it's like when you're walking through the mall and you see this 80-year-old couple holding hands. Something sweet about that. Years and years of marriage, carrying each other through this mall, yet they need to show affection to one another because they love one another. It's like the image of when you see a mom hold her, her baby for the first time. Something special about that image. Something beautiful. And we see God the Father in this scene showing his divine affections for his child. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And what you need to know this morning, what I want you to know, is that it's yours. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, this relationship is yours. You can have it. If you're familiar with the story of Christianity, Jesus goes on from his baptism and he goes to feed people. He heals people. He raises people from the dead. But his life ends with a very different scene than the baptism scene. It, it ends on a hill where he's nailed to a tree. And his words aren't, God, I love you so much. His words on the cross are, Father, why have you abandoned me? He dies. And if you're familiar with that story, you know, like, yes, he died for our forgiveness. He died for our sin. And that is great and true. But the best news of the gospel isn't that you've been forgiven of sins. That's not the best news. The best news of the gospel is that you've been forgiven of your sins and given the relationship you have with the Father. Jesus' life is booked in by two scenes, intimacy and death. And he deserves one and we deserve the other. And he gave us the intimacy and he took on the death. That is the gospel that you deserve the death that Jesus had. You didn't deserve the intimacy with the Father. So he took on the death that you deserve and gave you intimacy with the Father. I don't know if you guys watch um, Dave Ramsey. If you don't, that's okay. If you don't know who that is, that's okay too. And this is not, I have weird feelings about his philosophy and his 
personality. If you don't know who he is, it's like a financial personality, entertainer, something like that. And he has his, these radio show and YouTube channel. His, his feed will come on my YouTube feed every once in a while. And you listen to these stories. It's very dark and hopeless oftentimes. How this story, how these radio show usually goes. Somebody calls in, tells Dave Ramsey how horrible in debt they are. And he tells them how stupid they are. And then they, he tells them how they get out of the situation they're in. That's usually the flow of all these shows. And what what usually you hear is this over the phone is this hopelessness. I got, I got $700,000 in student loans and I make $20,000 a year. <laughs> it's not going to work. This math doesn't add up. And you see these postures of like, yeah, I don't know what to do. I've made horrible mistakes. I've made bad decisions with my money and I'm in this huge hole. I don't know what to do. And I don't make much money to make up for my debt. I got to pay my bills. I got to have lights in my house. What do I do? In some of those radio shows, you feel this hopelessness. You feel this darkness. You feel this remorse for their bad decisions. And sometimes if I'm honest, I'm like, okay, this is a multi-billion dollar company. You got a multi-millionaire on the radio show. Just say you're going to pay for it. Just pay off their debt. I know he's not Oprah, but like, He's probably, and he shouldn't maybe, maybe it's not his responsibility, but it would be cool. Like, it'd be awesome if he just says, yeah, that's, that, you, you were, you made terrible mistakes with your money, you made bad decisions, but I'm going to cover all that for you. That'd be amazing. You can imagine the response. They would be overwhelmed by his generosity. Well, Jesus didn't just pay off our debt. He paid off our debt and gave us the lottery. He took all the debt we owed. He took it away and he gave us the bank. His relationship with the Father. So when you see this scene, go back to it. Reimagine it. This is yours. You are his beloved child. And he... And he's well pleased with you. This is why the New Testament writers explaining the gospel use the language of in Christ over and over and over again. Because to be in a relationship with the Father, you can't just come as you are. You gotta be perfect. You have to be perfect to have any relationship with the Father. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, the garden was shut down and God's, abs- God's presence was absent. That's why he couldn't enter the Holy of Holies. That's why Moses couldn't couldn't be around God's glory. You have to be perfect. So the only way you have a relationship, an intimate relationship with the Father, is that you have somebody you're coming to the Father with, and that's why you're in Christ. Let's take Ephesians, for example. I'm going to read a, a big portion of Ephesians. And you listen to how many times Paul, the, the, the author of Ephesians, uses the language of in Christ. Listen to this. I think I have it on the screen as well. This is Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, by grace you hit in 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ himself, for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that is lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through the blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us and all, with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan to the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you were also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard of the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believe, when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And this is chapter two, verse four. But God, with, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you were saved by grace. He also raised us up with, with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you, you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. When you become a Christian, your debt just isn't removed. You're united to Christ. And what that means is that your relationship is now God's relationship with the Son. That means what's true of Christ is now true of you. That's why Jesus had to be perfect. He lived this immaculate life, this perfect life, this glorious life. He obeyed every step away. He was kind. He was gracious. He was, he was amazing in all aspects, perfect in all aspects. This is the greatest group project to ever have happened because we did nothing, but we get all the credit. Jesus did it all. And just by faith in him, we inherit his righteousness. Our debt just isn't paid. We're given the bank. So when you reimagine the scene, you look at the way God the Father looks at his son. He says, you are my son, and you I am pleased. In you I am proud. 
And if you are a Christian, he says the same things to you. He says the same things to you. When one pastor heard this news for the first time, he says this, it was like discovering everything I wished were true actually was. We, we all long for this, right? We long to be loved in an in a immeasurable way. We long to be accepted by, by the ones we love. We long to have somebody gaze upon us like, like no one's ever gazed upon anyone. And that's what you have in the Father. He loves you. He loves you in spite of yourself. He loves you in spite of all the things you've done. He loves you. You may be here and you're, you're thinking, Zach, that sounds theoretically amazing. But my experience of God is distant, cold. When I was baptized, God didn't speak to me. How do I experience that? If, you, if it's true, Zach, you're, okay, I'll give you credit. I think it's true. How do I experience that? First thing I want to encourage you with is, is go to the truth. Continually go back to the truth. We are not truth producers. Our bodies, our souls, our minds are not wanting to produce truth because we're corrupted by sin. So we need to go to something outside of us for truth. That's why we encourage Bible reading. We don't read the Bible because God will love us more if we read our Bible. We don't read the Bible just to puff up our knowledge. We read the Bible because we need to know what's true. We're told all types of lies, all types of ways, in many different scenes, in different ways, and God is telling you the truth in his word. There's no fake news. There's no conspiracy theories. It's all true, all the time, every word. So we go to God's word, even though it's confusing, even though it's hard to read, even though Leviticus is a trudge, like we go to God's word. Because God has so loved us, he hasn't left us just wondering if he loves us. He's given us his word so that we may see clearly what he has said about us, what he has said to us. So we read the Bible and we see that he loves us. It's one of the songs says, that God loves me so, how do I know that the Bible has told me? Keep going back to the word. Keep coming to church. Why do we come to church? Because we've been out at sea, tossed and torn by the storm of the waves of the world. And we come into harbor every Sunday and we're reminded that this is the way to live. The world is lying to us. We're safe here. We're reminded that God's word is true. I am loved. These people do love me. This is the way to live. The world isn't going to tell you the way to live. So we're reminded each and every week all the things we've forgotten. And we're sent out of here. We come back worshiping the Christ, worshiping with one another, hearing from God's word, and harboring together so we can endure another week at sea. So we need people in our lives to remind us of what's true. Because if you tell yourself what's true all the time, you will lie to yourself. 
So get people in your life that can sit across the dinner table from you, that sit across a coffee table and tell you that God really does love you in spite of all the mess you've made of your life. He does love you in spite of all the suffering you're enduring. He does love you in spite of what your family situation is, in spite of getting a divorce, in spite of continuing in that sin you can't shake. He loves you. You need people in your life to remind you of that. The way we experience this amazing love from the Father is that when we sin, we run to Jesus and not to ourselves. We experience this amazing love of God when we continue to run to Jesus and not to ourselves because we're, we're tempted in two different ways when we sin or confront in our sin or just really come to admit our sin is that we either gloss over it because we say Jesus paid for it, I'm free, or we self-loathe. When we sin, we're tempted to say, well, that's me again. That's my own mistake. I'm just a sinner. I'm terrible. Five days into not reading your Bible and your reading plan, that's me again. Just this undisciplined, terrible person. A sin that keeps popping up that you've been saying that you're going to shake every new year. That's me again. Just a sinner. It's not godly to do that. When you sin, you're faced with the shame and guilt of your own self. Go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. I love how 1 John 2 says that he says, my little children, I'm writing to you so you may not sin. But if you do, I love that line, if you do or when you do, You have an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John said, I'm writing to you so you fight your sin. But when you mess up, remember, Jesus has got you. When we continually go back to Jesus with our sin, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus has paid for it that God still loves us. We experience the immaculate love of God when we continually go back to him with our mess, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin. And it may not hit the first time and it may not experience the second time, but we do that over and over again. And you're reminded that God accepts me in spite of me. He, he has me. He's never annoyed by me knocking on the door. I don't know what, what painting people have painted for you when you see God, your parents painted the picture for you, your church that you grew up in, if you grew up in church, colored it in, friends, Christians. But the Bible makes clear the posture towards you is open arms welcoming you home every time. So when you fail, you sin, you're rude to your spouse, you're harsh to your kids, you stay addicted, 
You don't handle your money the way you should handle it. Keep going back to Jesus. And when, when you do that, the discipline of returning to Jesus will teach you the amazing love of God. He receives you. He has you. But when you do this, you don't just experience it. It doesn't just shape how you view God. It shapes how you live in this world. It changes the way you're present in this world. It frees you up to obey without fear. It frees you up to obey with not wondering if God's going to slap you on the wrist. It frees you up to obey without wondering if God's hovering over you with a microscope. Be reminded, friend, that Jesus' baptism, this beloved scene, came before any amazing things he did. Be reminded that the Exodus story of the rescuing of Egypt, the rescuing of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea came before the law. We obey not so that we might be loved. We obey because we have been so immensely loved. You're free to obey because God has so loved you. I love how John writes it further in chapter 2. I think you have this on the screen. He says this, this is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments... The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as he walks. So what John's saying here and what I think the whole Bible says is that we obey because we've been loved. We obey not out of fear of what God's posture is toward us. We obey not because God is going to put us in a different category of heaven or hell. We obey because we have been so immensely loved by the Father. Obedience was in the garden. Obedience is in the Old Testament. Obedience is in the New Testament. Revelation ends with those who overcome. Jesus' last words in his great commission says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And obedience is not antithetical to the gospel or or anti-gospel. Obedience is the fruit of the gospel. Because we've been made alive, made new by Jesus, we can freely obey. The other thing this experience changes us, the other thing this, this changes the way we live is that we can stop chasing the affections of others. Stop chasing the affections of others. I don't know if you've read the book or watched the movie, The Great Gatsby, but the story is, is basically this, this man who's in love with this woman and goes, goes extravagantly over and beyond just to get her attention. He builds a mansion. He buys a mansion in proximity to her house. He throws parties that cost thousands and thousands of dollars just that she might walk in one day. He buys fancy cars. He wears fancy suits. He talks in fancy ways. 
just so that she might catch his eye. And this is a spoiler alert, but he doesn't get her. And that story is kind of funny and you laugh when you see it, but we spend an innumerable amount of resources trying to get people's attention. We buy houses so that people may think of us in a certain way. We take jobs so people may think of us and accept us in a certain way. We post pictures so that people may see us in a certain way. Those things aren't bad in of themselves, but they're empty of love if you're chasing after affections from doing those things. Teenager, it's okay if you don't get a ton of likes on your Instagram or adults. It's okay if you don't get a ton of likes on your Instagram post. It's okay. You, can, you cannot lose your sleep if, if your boss criticizes you, your coworker criticizes you. It's okay if your kids don't thank you enough. These things aren't what justify you in this life. These things aren't what make your dignity worth something. We're constantly chasing after acceptance and love and status and affections. And it's miserable. If you're honest, it's miserable. And what we're really longing for is what we already have. Divine intimacy and acceptance. The creator of this world, the the person that's already existed from infinite time chose you before the foundation of the world and set his affection and gaze upon you before you ever did anything and he accepted you totally and fully. You never have to worry about turning his eye because his eyes are already turned. You never worry about wondering if he sees you because he always sees you. You never have to worry if you can go to him because he's already at your doorstep. He has already accepted you. He's already loved you. He's already welcomed you. And he's not going anywhere. Therefore, we're free from the chains of other people's exceptions, acceptance, in love. We're free. So we can buy the car we want because we want the car. We can buy the house we want because we want the house. We can take the job we want because we want the job and not because somebody might think differently about us. We are fully and finally accepted by the Father and his love. Therefore, we are free to live present in the world. That means we can live in love with no strings attached. We can love our kids knowing they're not going to thank us more than they should. We can love our neighbors knowing they have no idea why we're loving them. We can work more hours than we should sometimes because we're not worried if any of our coworkers know how much we work. We're sacrificing because we love. We can go further and do more because we've been freed from the chains of people's eyes and people's love.
You're free, Christian. God has freed you to love and live in the happiness of this world. You're free. And maybe you're here and you don't call yourself a Christian, but you're tired of chasing affections. You're tired of seeing if somebody loves you. You're tired of wondering if somebody's going to call, if somebody's going to text you. You're tired of trying to find someone that will love you for you. And that run, that chasing can end today. God sees you. He'll have you right where you sit. Just pray to him. Ask him to accept you for yourself and repent and put your faith in him and he'll have you right now. There's no test. There's no exam. There's no looking at your criminal history or your sin history. He will have you right where you are. It doesn't make sense, no, but it's the gospel story. Whatever your commitments are this year, whatever things you want to do or things you're dreaming of doing, whatever disciplines you're committing to, can I just remind you one last time, all of this, all of it is a living out of one reality. You are deeply loved by God. Let's pray. Just take a second. Can you just, for a second, use your imagination? We don't know what God looks like. Just imagine him making eye contact with you right now. His hand on your shoulder like a dad to his child. And he says to you, in the most affectionate way you can imagine, you are my child. With you, I am well pleased. Just repeat that to yourself for a second. No matter how far off from God you feel, no matter how little you've read the Bible this year, no matter how horrible of a Christian you think you are, with faith in Christ, God says this to you one more time. You are my child. With you, I am well pleased. Father, we, we thank you for what you've done in our lives, the acceptance that you've brought to us in spite of all the things we've done wrong, all the reasons we don't deserve to be in your presence, all the ways we don't pass the test. And Father, we come near to you right now because all these things we want to do with our lives are vain if they're not in the love of your presence. Father, give us faith to believe you will, you will love us this Friday. Not just when we do things for you, not just when we, we are awesome, but when we're actually broken and contrite.
Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done in us and through us. On the night that Jesus betrayed, he gave this symbol to the church to show how much the Father loves his children. He broke a piece of bread. He took a cup. He said, this is my body. When I break this, this is my body. It's broken for you. Remember this. It's how much we love you. He took a cup. He said, this is my blood. To remember this. Take this and remember this. It's my love for you. So when you come up to these tables or in the corners, you eat the cracker and you drink the juice and sit there for a second. That's, that's a symbol. That's just a physical symbol each and every week. I'm loved by God. If you're not a Christian, I ask that you not take this meal, but you take on Jesus. You can put your faith in him right now where you're at. We'd love to talk to you about that. Church, as the band plays, let's stand and take communion as a family. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.